Well, all right, all right. Welcome to the Can-Am Soup Podcast with Jeremy and Todd. This is our inaugural episode. I'm Todd. And I'm Jeremy. I think uh, this first episode, we'll uh, just tell you a little bit about ourselves. Might tell a story or two, might not. Just depends. Like I said, my name is Todd. I am coming up on my 53rd year here on Earth. I spent 20 years in the United States Air Force, worked 13 years after that in the United States federal government. In my free time during all those years, I was uh, a maker. I've been on a lifelong pursuit to learn everything I can about making everything I can with my hands. First and foremost, a husband to my wife and a best friend to my poodle. And other than that, you know, I like doing stuff. What's your poodle's name? Benny. Benny. That's cool. I didn't know that. With an IE. Benny with an IE. Oh, right on. That's cool. Yep. He's a 92% pure mini poodle. We got him four years ago as a rescue. He's 11 this year. Right on. And he's way too smart for me. (laughs) Smart or sneaky. I always, you know, it's true. They're smart, but it seems like my dog too. He doesn't use it for good. It seems he uses it just to sneak around everything I don't want him doing. Any poodle breed, any, but uh, particularly a uh, pure poodle, they don't do, they don't use their brain for good. They are pure evil in the funniest sense of the word. Right on. All right. Well, uh, my name is Jeremy, and I am right in my midlife crisis <laughs> stage. I'm 40 years old. Uh, by trade, I'm a millwright, which is like a heavy-duty mechanic that works on stationary equipment. I live in Canada, and then uh, Todd, obviously, is in the United States. That's why it's Can-Am, kind of bridging the border here. And uh, I make knives for a living now, and then I also do YouTube videos and now podcasts. I've got four kids and a beautiful wife. We're coming up on 20 years of marriage. And uh, yeah, we live out on a small, we've got like 13 acres uh, in southern Alberta. So we get like full on winters. I know during the recordings of these, I'm probably going to be jealous of you, Todd, because we've already had minus 20 degrees Celsius this year. And this is October 31st. So we had a... um just absolutely uh, freezing, chilling, 45 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, oh, probably had to put a heavy sweater on. <laughs> and we have a freeze warning tonight. We're going to get down to um, positive 26 Fahrenheit. But then next week we'll be back in the 70s. So. Oh, man. Actually, I got to say the same thing, too. We're going to be at, uh, well, it's kind of hard to go between Celsius and, and Fahrenheit. But we're going to be like plus 16 Celsius, which I'm going to guess is about maybe high 60s, low 70s. So we've actually got a really nice week coming up here. So it'll be good. I think it's, it'll be good for our uh, our audience that, you know, I'll be Fahrenheit. You can be Celsius. I'll be, okay, and maybe I'll be between real, and Patrick. And, and <laughs> they can figure it out for themselves, kind of like homework. There you go. There you go. I bet between you and I, we'll try and we'll figure it out eventually too. We know what zero is the freezing point. It's 32 Fahrenheit, zero Celsius. Absolutely. And then the scales even out at minus 40. Yep. Well, at minus 40, it's irrelevant. (laughs) That's true. Have you ever, 
okay, my dad told me this experiment. I didn't believe him. And I had a chance to do it once in my life. And he always told me that if you take gasoline and you try to light it when it's colder than minus 40 Celsius or Fahrenheit, I guess, it lights the same as diesel fuel does. And I didn't believe it. And I remember as a few days after Christmas, I think it was in 95, 95, 96. And it was minus 42 degrees Celsius with no wind chill. Like it was dead calm. That's how cold it was outside. And so my dad actually went, I said, we got to try this out. So we went and put a little gas into like an empty margarine container and you light a match and you hold the match to it and it slowly takes off. It's crazy. And that's like actual gasoline, like 87 octane gasoline. Normally it's just a boom, right? And then you got no eyebrows. Yeah, we, we tried that when I was stationed up in Montana one night. It was minus 65, but for our oh. experiment, it was irrelevant because we froze a bucket of aviation fuel in liquid uh, liquid oxygen. You took the bucket really? of liquid oxygen well away from it and lit uh, aviation fuel, and it did the same thing. It just burned very slowly until it self-warmed up. Oh, okay. And then it went kaboom. <laughs> yeah, that would be cool, hey? I think it, we had about uh, two quarts of uh, aviation fuel, and it took about three minutes for it to warm itself up in that cold, and then it just, whoosh, one big fireball. Oh, that's good stuff. From it going, nah, da, 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 da. What? <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's so much fun, that stuff, isn't it? Yes, we called it science, but we all know what it really was. Yeah, yeah. But you know, you yeah. Don't, you, if you don't do, you can't figure it out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I got I got away really lucky. Um, I, I, every kid, I mean, I don't think anybody doesn't have a fascination with fire. If you drive by the house that I grew up with, it's at 156 Whitehorn Road, Northeast Calgary. And there's a brick. The sides of the garage are brick, red brick. And on the left side, you can actually still see char marks from when I tried to make a bomb. And I had no clue what I was doing. Uh, but basically, we couldn't get it to detonate. So we taped it to the brick because we knew brick wouldn't burn compared to the rest of the house which was vinyl siding and we took like my dad's blowtorch and held it there and uh it's still there to this i drove by a couple years ago and it's still there it's big huge char mark we could not get it clean uh we wire wheeled it started taking away the 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 brick and stuff and we thought i'll just leave that like that but at the same time i did that and that same summer i had two cousins burn down their barns trying to do the same thing <laughs> we'd get together like little family get-togethers and we'd come up with little ideas for bombs and and ways we could play with fire and then they would get in trouble for it and do something terrible and i always just got lucky i guess although i did i did burn down the skating rink once in edmonton at a friend's house but that's another story oh my yeah so do you have a topic for us this week well You know, because um, I think we discussed it, the uh, general direction, the general subject matter of our podcast is just like soup. Um, it is what you put into it, and there are all kinds of ingredients. We will be talking about all kinds of subject matters from things that are maker-related, you know, building things, fixing things, to anything else. There's nothing... Um, off, there's nothing tasteful that's all, off the table. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> I think one of the things that have really 
fascinated me in our society in maybe the last 15 years up to now is why is kindness bad now? Why can't you use that uh, and except in very guarded situations? Um, you know, just being kind to everybody, paying it forward. Why is holding a door open uh, for someone a cardinal offense now? You know, if you don't appreciate it, move on with your life. Don't make a federal case out of somebody just trying to be nice. By holding a door, I'm not saying you're inferior to me. I'm just saying, hey, you can walk in first. Mm -hmm. But, you know, and some people take your kindness as a weakness and try to uh, get over on you. It's just weird. And it's Have you experienced that firsthand? I'm sorry? Have you experienced that firsthand? Oh, all the time. Really? Yeah, one uh, one example, when I was still working uh, with, for the federal government in D.C., it was uh, one of the Department of Homeland Security agencies. And it was just, the elevator stopped. You know, I got into the elevator on floor one. I'm going up to floor number seven. Stops on floor number four. And, I, you know, you put your hand on that little bar in the elevator door to stop it from closing and let people on. I had a woman yell at me for five minutes. Really? For being nice. Wow. And I just told her, I said, well, you know, I was just holding the door so it didn't shut on you. It looked like you were trying to get in, um, but you now admitted you were trying to get in, but really didn't appreciate me holding the door for you, <clears throat> regardless of whether it was going to close. And now I know from now on, just let it close on your face, mm -hmm. you know, not to be nice to you anymore. Yeah. I, I know what you mean. I think, you know, there's a certain sense and this could be a little bit sensitive. So I want to make sure I kind of say it properly and then round it out. But, you know, there's a sense where certain people groups kind of get this perceived victimhood and that's what they asphyxiate on. Is that the right word? No. Fixate on. Fixate on. Fixate was a Freudian slip on what we want to do to those people. But go ahead. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, so they're just fixated on that, right? And it's like, um, you know, one, again, like the whole feminist movement. Um, like I, I opened the door for my wife and, and she appreciates that. It's a sign that I show her respect. But if you get someone who's going to come across, and I, I, I'm talking about the extreme of the extremes, even the ones that a lot of people who would identify as feminists are like, okay, that's just a little bit too out there. But, you know, they kind of take this attitude that anything you do is a direct cut at the, they're, they're always a victim. They put these glasses on every morning that says, these are my victim glasses. And wh wherever you stand, it could be uh, based on your gender, ba ba even based on your sexuality, based on where you were born. And I, I think people that approach that life that way, they're like, I'm a victim. You can do anything for them. And they're like, oh, is this because I'm weak? Is this because I'm a victim? Oh, yeah. yeah. I call it a, being a professional victim. You can, yeah. can't do anything for them or not do anything for them because anything you do is wrong. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny because actually I took, um, I have this little tradition and I try to do it once a week. I'll take one of my kids out for breakfast one day a week and we just hang out. And, um, and so this week I took my daughter out for breakfast and 
is is interesting because you know i always like to use this time too it's like okay i need to treat her like a lady right she's my little girl she's 12 years old i think i I should know that for sure but i think she's 12 but you know i i hold the door for her you know we were at a booth so i couldn't get the chair for but i want to show her what a gentleman does and i'm talking like old school chivalry kind of a gentleman and i think it's kind of my dad my job as a dad to show her that so that if somebody else treats her you know i don't know if the kid will survive ever meeting me but there may be a kid that one day wants to date my daughter and I don't care who he is. He's not going to be good enough for me. <laughs> I actually told my daughter when, when she was little, I said, well, the first boyfriend you have is the first murder I'm going to commit. And she was like, what do you mean? I said, I'm, t- I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm going to shoot whoever takes an interest in you. I don't care who they are. That's, and um, That's the object and, lesson for the rest of them that will come along in the future. That's right. That's right. Um, but, you know, it, sure, you know what? If somebody's treating you less than this, and and the reason that – it just kind of backing up the reason that I think as a man, you do that for a woman is to show you respect, right? Like if compare my wife to me, I mean, I'm a much bigger person. I'm, I'm stronger. I'm tougher. I'm faster. She's smarter. Uh, but you know, when you, you see somebody bigger and more powerful doing something kind for someone that I'm going to use the word weaker, uh, cause it's a fact. I mean, it sounds terrible, but physically she's weaker than I am. It's, it's very, it's a very high form of honor. Right. And at the same time, in order to accept that as a high form of honor, you might have to accept that you are maybe somewhat weaker. I don't know. Oh, no, absolutely. Because I, at one point, I was just writing, I was using my Facebook page for a, my idea was to do a blog, a little daily um, paragraph or two, like a blog. And I started it off, I was going to write a series called It Takes a Village but not what it used to be referred to as it takes a village to raise a child. But I was going to explain why that is, you know, because every village needs a mayor, but it also needs the guy that does the cobblestone, that Mm -hmm. those cobblestones that makes those cobblestones, you know? So not everybody in a village can be the lawyer. It was my point, you know? Um, so not everybody in our society is going to be big and strong like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but not everybody's going to be uber intelligent. Um, like Michio Kaku, um, they're just not. Mm-hmm. <sighs> we're all intended, we're all given gifts either through um, your maker or your DNA, whatever your belief is. You know, I don't want to offend. Uh, anyone or leave anyone out, but everyone has these um, innate talents within them. It mm-hmm. can be uh, intellectual talents or physical talents. I was mm-hmm. blessed with a little bit of both because I've always had a fascination with making things with my hands and I can learn up to this point in my life. I've been able to learn anything I wanted to do mm-hmm. uh, except uh, how to, record a good podcast no but we're learning it right now <laughs> um actually i wasn't fast enough with this ah, there we go see you're getting it though <laughs> but, <laughs> that's good that wasn't even i hadn't even considered anything like that yeah, here's <laughs> that's for my attempt at humor, but, um anyway you know so 
what I think this group of folks that are professional victims don't understand and they just refuse to accept is you can't be anything you want, but you can be anything you can be. Mm -hmm. You know, whatever you, whatever it is, whatever uh, profession lies within the bounds of your innate talent, things that you are intellectually and physically capable of doing, you can do. You just have to get up and do it. No one, mm -hmm. you don't, no one has the entitlement of being given that job, right? Or that profession or the fruits of that profession. Mm -hmm. like, like, you know, I, I know that I'll never be an astronaut, even though I wanted to be one. I will never be a doctor, even though I think I'm capable of it. I don't have the patience and I don't want to be, if I was going to be a doctor, I'd be a veterinarian because I'd, I don't like being around people long enough to be their doctor. Yeah. And let's face it. There are some people out there that would come see me as a doctor and I'd be like, yeah, there's nothing I do for you. You're, you're terminal. Mm. But I only broke my toe. No, it's terminal. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, I think that's a really good point you bring up about the strengths and, uh, you know, it was funny because, I, the sense that I got going through like school and I guess just for the audience, I didn't graduate from high school. I, I think I started grade 11. Uh, I'll, I'll caveat that. I did have a plan. We could maybe get that. There's a specific reason why I dropped out of high school. It's not like I just wanted to play video games or something, but when I was going through school, it seemed like I always had to work on things that I wasn't good at. The things I was good at at the time were art. I mean, I, I could draw really well. I loved thinking about art. I loved making stuff and all the other things I wasn't good at the mathematics. Actually, the English I was fairly well at. I, I like talking. I like writing. Um, but it seems like, you know, they, they try to get you sort of well rounded and it's it's a good approach, I think. But ultimately, if you want to I think if you want to be really successful and happy, you need to focus on your strengths. Right. You know, you hear a lot of people's like, oh, you know, whatever your weaknesses are, see if you can make them better. And I throw that out the window. I say, whatever I'm not good at, I won't do because I was born good at some things. And those are where I should practice. Those are where I should uh, train and, and develop and work on. I, I think it's foolish to, to develop your weaknesses. And, and I think the one thing, too, is part of that is accepting where your strengths are. You know, I'm I may be good at something that's not overly. Uh, you know, amazing or like, woo, woo, like superstar worthy, right? Like athletic, I guess I was also fairly athletic, but never, I knew I would never be like, you know, play in any professional sports and make millions of dollars. And that stuff is so glorified in culture that sometimes I wonder if it's hard to accept the fact that, oh, you know what, what am I really good at? I'm really good at analyzing numbers, how <laughs> to be an amazing accountant, right? It's not a glorifying a job. And, and so there's a part of that is that you have to accept where you're at. And I think if you know who yourself and who you are, and if you're comfortable with that, you can accept that. And then tying back into the kindness thing, it's like, Oh, you know what? You held the door open for me. Well, thank you so much. You know, I don't know. It's just something like you, you already have your value. You know what you're good at. I think you have to be in that spot before you can accept kindness from others. I think people that can't accept kindness, it has to do with the fact that they haven't accepted who they truly are yet. Yeah, I think that's part of it. And to to back up just a little bit, I think, <clears throat> ladies and gentlemen, here's our first disagreement, at least in part. Okay. 
Um, no, but seriously, um, I agree in principle with focus on all your strengths, forget your weaknesses. But I think there are some weaknesses, particularly if you have a profession where you have to deal with people and maybe communication is a weakness for you. Uh, you need to work on that. You need to work mm-hmm. on reading, writing, and talking skills in order to have a successful uh, uh, dealings with other people, you know, otherwise, yeah, I agree. you're otherwise they're, they can't take you seriously. They'll take advantage. They'll try to take advantage of you. You know, cause one of the smartest people I've ever met, um, even though I don't agree with everything he did, you know, was Sam Walton. I actually met him, uh, once Where is he? he sounded like a, you know, a stupid ass hit. <laughs> but he was one of the most brilliant businessmen of our time. Mm-hmm. You know, he he didn't pass on all of that um, uh, corporate genius to some of his children uh, that have ruined part of his legacy. But, you know, Sam Walton, uh, who, you know, founded and started the Walmarts that we all know today and Sam's Club and on and on. You know, he's a brilliant guy, but he didn't sound brilliant. But he he knew how to get past that accent and mm-hmm. talk to uh, investors in corporate America and publicists in an intelligent manner. Mm-hmm. So I think there are some weaknesses we at least have to file the rough edges off of. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, if if you can't succeed, at least to be taken seriously, because. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know. So go ahead. Go ahead. I was just gonna say to that as well. Uh, I I do have an example serious of uh, similar to yours. A gentleman I used to work with. He was a foreman of our shop, and he is absolutely the most intelligent person I've ever met mechanically. He could build anything, and his ideas were absolutely genius. But he was he had no people skills. And if you were doing some five B machining something on the milling machine. He would just come up to me and say, nope, that's wrong. Do it like this. And then walk away. That's literally his approach. And at first, it's very abrasive. I was always ticked off. I'm like, you are such a jerk. Over the years, and I mean, I worked with him for years and years and years, and we're actually good friends now. But I realized that where his intent was, right? He didn't mean harm. He actually only meant good. He wanted to do the best job for the company. And because of the fact that when I, even though I was ticked off at him, I'd see what he told me to do. I'm like, oh, you're, you're right. That is a way better way to do it. But then I'm like, oh, he could have had such an easier life. And he's actually made a lot of progress. I haven't worked with him probably for over 10 years. Um, and from what I see now, I still go visit him in his workplace sometimes. And he's a lot different now than then. So that's, I agree with you. Like that was one of his weaknesses. His strength was that just absolutely incredibly brilliant. I've never seen somebody more intelligent than him. Like the tools that he invented, the gizmos and it was insane. He could come up with a way to change the oil in his garage and he would make three different machines to do it. Not quite that extreme, but he would just have a way better way than anybody else has ever seen before. Uh, but his, his weakness was that he could not deal with people. He just didn't think about how people perceive him or how people want to be talked to. And it actually made it quite difficult. There's a lot of good people that came and went. And that's one of the reasons I stopped working there is I, I just ended up having enough. I said, you're a great guy. You're intelligent, but I, it, it's grading on me. So I agree. Like, that's like an example I think of where he could have probably done. I like how you put that. Just kind of file the rough edges off your weaknesses. Oh yeah. And in, in 
I don't know him, and I have no way of knowing what was in his heart during that time. He might have just been um, a really nice guy who was a, abrasive in nature when dealing with people, or it could have been, at least in part, he knew enough about you and your talent as a millwright to just say, oh, all I have to do with Jeremy is say, hey, no, just do it this way and walk away, that you're smart enough to know exactly what he was talking about and then to apply that without any additional instruction. Mm -hmm. He was just entirely practical. Like in, in his mind, every communication didn't have any emotion to it whatsoever. And it was just like a binary code, like one robot saying to another robot, because that's how he saw the world is like, oh, you do this like this and I do this like that. And it's not like, hey, how are you feeling? Would you mind if we, you know, there's no interpersonal, uh, no thought to how people take it. You know, if you have a real terrible ride into work and you get rear-ended and the guy took off and now you got to pay for your thing, you're having a rough day, right? It wouldn't take much to set you off. <laughs> your coffee spills over and you'd start crying, which I cry anyways, but um you know, and he, there's never any of that. That couldn't exist in his, his world. But he did have intentions that were well. Like, he didn't mean to be rude. He it was like that to every single person. It's very interesting. But but he's honestly a great guy. And his heart was, you know, now that he's kind of changed a bit. I mean, we talk bicycles. He's done some incredible bicycle touring and stuff like that. But it was really interesting because just, it was like, it, like I said, it's like a code. One robot to another. You do this. I do this. Done. <laughs> and that's the only reason we should communicate with each other. Oh yeah, that reminds me. Not to interrupt, but to interrupt. Um, one one episode in the future, we're gonna have to do a, a layman's bicycle uh, show, so I can pick your brain with uh, some bike information. Yeah, that sounds fun. I I biked from the time I was able to bike, you know, three three years old, until I was twenty five, and I've missed it ever since um, with uh, lifeus interruptus and, you know, breaking my back. Now I need to really start getting back into riding, particularly with the area that I'm in now that would just be wonderful with, uh, I don't know whether it's a mountain bike or a fat tire bike, something that's able to do grass hills and gravel. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't know the bikes I knew back then don't really exist anymore. No. And trying to get into bikes now it's it would be like trying to invent a better car battery mm -hmm. fusing yeah and sadly a lot of the bikes back in the day were better bikes than you can find today you got you got to search long and hard to find good bikes nowadays and i was just watching this uh youtube channel uh i have no idea why i watch this youtube channel it's about uh rving mm -hmm. he does little segments on you know, heavy-duty trucks or gadgets, and he's an avid bicyclist, but his bike's parts on his bike. You can't even touch it until you're up into the almost $2,000. Wow. Doing, uh, uh, it's a unisex kind of fat tire bike, but it has, uh, the, the frame is split uh, sort of with uh, suspension in it. Okay. Unlike anything I've ever seen, eight grand for a bike. I'm like, wow. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's incredible. I well, years ago, I was I was buying some parts from. It's kind of a boutique uh, bicycle shop. Like every 
person that walked. It was like downtown Calgary, prime real estate. Everybody that walked in got a latte or cappuccino, and it was good, like good. They roasted their own coffee, a bunch of hipsters. And um, anyways, this shop, they had one bicycle there that was $23,000. And I mean, that was Canadian pesos. Uh, but say it's like 17 grand American. And I think the bike was just shy of 13 pounds. And I just, I remember I picked this bike up and I was just like, wow. Um, even all the links of the chain, they were hollowed out in between the rollers. <laughs> There's like a titanium chain. It was, it was insane. But yeah, you can definitely drop a lot of dough on, on something that doesn't even have a motor. Yeah. Um, bikes today remind me of the RC car craze in the nineties um, where it's just a money pit, like buying a boat. Um, mm-hmm. You just bring another thousand that apparently <laughs> what boat stands for, but um, yeah. Or break out another thousand. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any RC cars? Um, you don't? But uh, for the audience, uh, I failed to do this at the beginning, and I apologize. Um, how did Jeremy and Todd meet, and how did we decide to do this? Um, actually, quote, unquote, met Jeremy by watching his YouTube channel as a knife maker and started uh, buying his knives because I was a collector. Uh, I think I bought all of them. <laughs> you definitely own more of my knives than anybody else on earth yeah at least that's what my wife says you bought all of them why do you need these because i do and uh oh that is just so unfortunate that my phone is ringing right now oh dear you need to take that oh do you even hear it no oh god and i just screwed up that show it doesn't matter Anyway, getting back to to that. So I'm a collector, bought a lot of his knives, uh, I, but I don't just collect, I use. Because uh, I you know do a lot of things around the property now. I'm quote unquote retired, but now I'm trying to uh, do my own thing. I'm tired of working for other people. And I have a little homestead out here in the middle of nowhere. So I use knives all day from, you know, just cutting open boxes to chopping branches, you know stabbing things that bother me or get in my way. <laughs> and I've basically narrowed my, and I, I mean inanimate objects, people. Um, <laughs> and I've narrowed my collection down to collecting a whole bunch of, not a whole bunch, maybe five or six folks, down to just two. And Jeremy is one of those. Uh, maybe one day if he wants to talk about that, he can. But uh, he's one of the most talented knife makers I know. He's very humble. Uh, almost to the point of that you want to strangle him, but he's a great guy. Does a great, has a really great, uh, a captivating personality. Uh, he could, he could, I think he's done a YouTube video about absolutely nothing. And it was interesting. So <laughs> that's how he is. <laughs> I, I forgot what it was about. Um, but actually I think you said that in the video, but anyway, funny um yeah well, i appreciate that way of story no matter what it is whether it's making a knife um working on the suspension of his vehicle whatever it is you know well, i appreciate that i think uh it's definitely 
way inflated, <laughs> but um, yeah, well, no, it's it's been really other channel for your vlog. So I said, well, I didn't mention the other channel where you do your vlogging. Yeah, you know, it's I have no clue what I'm doing with social media, and it's it's funny because there's a certain sense where I think you kind of figure it out for a while, and you you know things work, and then all of a sudden they don't again. So uh, that second channel is kind of a bit of experiment there but it's yeah. fun. It'd be fun to talk a little bit about that too, like the social media and and all that content creation stuff but um no i i appreciate your support it's it's true i think i don't know how many of my knives but it's funny because i'll you know you I, I was actually interviewed you on another podcast that i do and i remember you told me then that basically if you get a notification that i had a youtube video you'd see if it was a knife build and before you'd even watch the video you would go to my website to see if it was for sale and i don't know how many times i'll like okay i'd put up a video and i'd have the knife ready because you know you know and i like and then told my wife's like todd bought another one of my knives <laughs> we just like what's this guy's deal so i appreciate your support and then over the course of the years uh you know it's been a i'd say we've probably been in touch with each other like over two years three years yes and starting to get you to, to get to know you more as a friend. I've really appreciate it. And I think we have, now uh, we've got a lot of common interests and uh, like, you know, like when we discussed about doing this podcast together, um, it's good for the things that we can find out where we don't necessarily agree to. Right. Oh, um, I, you know, I think of you as my brother from another country. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> the, that's what the whole can am soup is about. But I, I, you know, Joking aside, I think Jeremy's actually seen more of the United States than I have. I have seen a lot of it. I have worked in a lot of states. Uh, I guess, yeah, from a little bit more of my background is that when I um, got my millwright apprenticeship, I worked for a company that did airport baggage conveyors. And I was an installer for a lot of years. And so any city that had an airport was a potential place I would go to work. And these jobs would last anywhere from the, on the shorter end, like two weeks and they could go upwards of nine months was probably the longest one that I was stationed in. And everywhere, anywhere, like little podunk airports like Belgrade, Montana, uh, uh, Oakland. I spent a long time in Oakland, Burbank, California, all over Texas, Alabama. You name it. I've I've been to every single state uh, except for Maine, um, which is weird because I actually have family in Maine. But um, Oh, where at? I honestly don't know. Um, but I know there's... Uh, bradford's that's my mother's side of the family um they still live in maine um actually see my one of my ties to the u.s is that you know william bradford who was like the the spiritual leader of the mayflower they called him yes uh so he, my mom is a direct descendant of him so he's actually like my great oh. great 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 i don't know how many times grandfather and then obviously uh, you know like my uncle's they would continue passing down that name, right? And obviously I took my father's name, so that's the, the German slash Russian side of the family. But yeah, my mother is a direct descendant. Like if you look in the lineage, it's boom, William Bradford came over and blah, 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 blah. And so he is, William Bradford was my grandpa. <laughs> I don't know how many generations. We had not figured out once, but I forgot. Yeah, we, uh, my name, my last name is uh, of German descent. But when I did my... Uh, DNA, it turns out I'm not. I'm mostly uh, British, 
with, which I knew already, and with some other things mixed in there. And Germany, like, you know, 1%. Mm-hmm. It's funny how that can work, how you can take the name. Or well, like, like... Adopted. Um, apparently his parents were killed in a car wreck on the way home from the hospital from having him. Oh, wow. And then the f- um, my last name people adopted him. Uh, hmm. That's the story. I'm not... I'm not really sure because my dad left at a very early age for me. And that was cool because, you know, I, I always joke that, you know, when my dad died, went downstairs and took over because Satan was like, yeah, I'm not that bad. <laughs> so I have a question about your DNA. Did you do like the ancestry thing or whatever? Or how did you get a DNA test done for your lineage? Oh, I didn't do Ancestry. I did the other one. Uh, I can tell you here real quick. Does that freak you out at all, though? 23andMe is what I used because at the time, they had no uh, intention of ever releasing the information to any outside organization except for uh, genetic and medical testing. Anonymous. Yeah, they were never going to release it to governments, law enforcement, or other companies to be misused. Yeah, even had uh, like server bombs in there in case someone were to try to hack it. It would just delete the system. What whichever one we were trying to. Well, all that's gone away since I've done my DNA with them. Oh, uh, okay, and because the uh, I know at least three. Uh, governments, the uh, United States, and at least two other ones uh, that have strong-armed 23andMe and other DNA companies into voluntary, quote-unquote, cooperation. Hmm. Otherwise, you, and I noticed from a previous job I had, um, it, oh, you can agree to voluntarily cooperate with us, or you can't have your servers either in our country or operating uh, on the internet in our country. Mm. We'll just, you know, not let you do that uh, like China does. And, and this was all behind the scenes and it's a thing now. So if they get a warrant, they'll share your DNA. Um, mm. At least they, they ask for a warrant now, unlike Apple who will just, freely give it no matter what they say publicly people apple gives your information to law enforcement freely yeah everything required i know that for a fact i help the legal opinion on that oh really yeah Uh. as a paralegal i'm not a lawyer don't claim to be a lawyer never would be a lawyer i I was born with a soul so i can't be a lawyer yeah Um, no, cause I've always like, I've wanted to get one of those DNA things. I thought it would be fascinating, but I'm always like, okay, if there's something with a website and it's got these nice commercials that are put together, there's no chance on earth. I'm giving up my DNA. Well, the um, cool thing about it is you can connect with people that you're related to that you didn't know. Yeah. Uh, cause I've never known any of the, my, any of the 
Well, I'll just tell you people, my last name is a four letter F word and it begins with F U. Um, <laughs> and there's two S's behind it. So I am Todd Fuss. Like, don't make a fuss. That yeah. name a shortened German word because back then, you know, hundreds of years ago, your name was your profession, right? So uh-huh. at some point in the past, we had a podiatrist in the family because, you know, my last name is German for foot. Um, huh. At least I hope he was a podiatrist and didn't have a foot fetish. But anyway. Yeah, that's um, right. <laughs> so <clears throat> I've been connected with not only uh, some relatives that I didn't know on my mom's side, I've actually found a couple that were on my biological father's side. Mm. And you get the opportunity to connect anonymously first. And then if you, you know, want to talk genuinely, not anonymously, then you can, you know, check a box and then they do that for you. Uh, You can find out if you're genetically disposed to certain diseases or medical conditions. And one of the things I did it for is because, you know, I've talked a lot about my health and my upcoming surgery and my uh, neurological problem I have with my spine. One of the things I wanted to know is, was I genetically disposed to neurological conditions? Because my sister, my older sister has MS. She struggled with that her whole life. And my DNA came back and said, no, you are not disposed to that. But it doesn't mean you can't get it. It just means I'm not, my, my genes aren't open to it already, you know they're not looking out the window for a neurological condition to invite in. Um, mm. So, you know, I found out that um, what my favorite meal on earth is a bowl of cereal. Really? And I found out through that, Hey dude, you know, you're lactose intolerant. <laughs> I'm like, well, that explains a lot of things that happen when I eat a bowl of cereal. So, uh, I feel sad for you. <laughs> so so you can find out things about yourself other than you know the part of the world that your ancestors are from uh, that you know you know know what like when you're talking about that and you're saying that you can kind of connect anonymously at first Mm -hmm. it kind of made me think about the fact that it's kind of interesting that somehow that connection wasn't passed down you know and you kind of think about like we've been going through some family things and um lately with people and i mean families are complicated they're very complicated they can be messy and you think about the fact that you know there's people in your lineage that you don't know about and somehow their story was never passed down to you and it could have been through something like uh you you know a a car accident or you know maybe it was it could have been like a divorce or the family falling out two brothers got in a fight over whatever it's just kind of interesting to think about the fact that now we have the technology to go and first anonymously, but then afterwards, if we want as ourselves and re-meet people, like you wonder, you know, 50 years ago, they weren't able to do that. And even you go back throughout history, you know, if a family wanted to kind of separate and cut ties with other people, that was it. It was over. But but now it's kind of like, we've got this technology where it's like, ah, actually, let's poke around a little and see what we can find, you know? It's kind of crazy. Oh yeah. The one individual that we knew of, we've always known of him. He was my dad's half brother and that side of the family. Uh, they, they were on there and I got some pings from 
23 and me that this person and they gave the name was trying to connect. No <laughs> click. Oh, that's funny. Oh, okay. I remember meeting them once when I was about six and, um, that was not a very, uh, pleasant meeting that I would wish on anyone at any age. So mm. I don't have anything to do with that side of the family at all, ever. You That's can't crazy. from that. You can't apologize for doing that to a child. So no, I don't want to see you. Yeah. So, but you know, some other folks have, you know, hey, I'm so and so. This is how I think we're related, and you you know, chat back and forth. It's not like I'm probably ever going to physically meet any of these people. You don't have to tell them where you live or anything like that. It's just you're chatting online, and then if you choose, you give them your email, your phone number, or your address. It's all up to you. Yeah. It was kind of like those old AOL chat rooms, like in the, in the nineties <laughs> that were the original social media. As funny as I was explaining that to my kids the other day, they used to have these chat rooms and you could go. And I really liked the band Oasis for a little while. And I was in this Oasis chat room. And then, and this was on AOL dial up internet where you could like type and then you'd send it and it would take like half a minute to send. And then like a minute later you get a response. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyways, I had this one girl and for some reason it was just stupid. It's like this infatuation. She started messaging me a lot. And she's like, could I send you a picture of myself? And I'm like, okay, cool. And I think I was like 15 or 16 at the time. And uh, she sent me this picture and she was so ugly that I left the chat room for good. And that was the last time I was on AOL. I was just like, this is horrible. I was kind of excited. I was like, Hey, maybe this is a nice person. I get to know him. I get a, you know, and she sent me this picture and she was so terrible looking. Oh, I thought, you know what? I don't need this in my life anymore. You know, at least she was honest with the picture because, you know, I've heard that there's so many of those um, interactions that begin with, you know, a fake picture being sent just to lure you into that. Oh, yeah. First physical meeting. And you, you know, you're expecting uh, this, not necessarily a supermodel, but, you know, attractive girl that's your type. And then you wind up with, you know, cousin it. Gertrude, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh. no. <laughs> I should sue you for lying. You know? Yeah. Yeah, everything, everything can be fake on the internet sometimes, but that's crazy. Although there is one exception to that, and I think I told that story on, the, on your podcast when you were interviewing about the uh, uh, Montana Highway Patrol person. That uh, mm-hmm. it was, you know, take her out on a date or I get a ticket. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> sure. Where do you want to meet? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and that I was a good one. Check her out a couple of times, but during those first two interactions, I was really uh, uh, focusing the conversation on what she wanted in a man, what her likes and dislikes were. And the more she told me those dislikes, the more I morphed my personality into those. So she yeah. with me. So, you know, I didn't have to break up with the highway patrolman that was in my district. That's right. That's hilarious. Yeah. That was a good story. Martha, if you're listening, I still love you. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if she turned into the type of person that would get mad if you open a door for her though. <laughs> uh, no, you would hold the door open for her and she would just molest you on the way by. That's yeah. as she was. <laughs> That's funny. Right on. So I got a question for you. Sure. 
Um, uh, since our last podcast said that when I got to interview you and before we were hosting a show together, uh, I'm just curious, have you done any work on setting up your shop? And maybe you could just, maybe we could round this episode out by kind of explaining your little property and some of the things we talked about there with setting up a workshop. Oh yeah, sure. Um, we, uh, found this place by accident. We have 18 acres, uh, somewhere in the middle Hills of Tennessee. I uh, have a uh, an original to the property over well over a hundred year old barn that needs a lot of work. Got a ten uh, year old home that has everything in it we want, and I have a workshop. Uh, it is thirty by forty eight and can be three levels. Uh, right now it's just two. It has it was just a metal building with the shell and the framing. Uh, when we moved in and so far I've gotten the electrical work done and just a month or so ago uh, had the uh, <clears throat> uh, three level mini split system put in for heating and air conditioning. Oh, right on. And now I'm going to be working on sealing the building because when they built it, the basement part where the, it's a three sided, uh, one walk outside. So there's a door and a big, uh, uh, commercial size garage door, but the other three sides are earth covered, but they didn't seal the block when they built this building. So mm-hmm. I'm deal with that. Uh, <clears throat> and I know one of the things I wanted to chronicle throughout our podcast is this journey on putting together the shop. Cause this will be my third in my life. The others have been, you know, garages or basements. This is the first time I've had a honest to goodness, no kidding building for my workshop. Mm-hmm. And right now it's just a horrible mess. Like the, as the movers left it, uh, so nothing is inside is hooked up because <clears throat> I wanted to, uh, before I got all the tools set up and everything, get the electric in, get it insulated, get the HVAC done. Uh, you know, try to do it right in those layers from the beginning instead of having to, you know, set all your tools up and then move them around 50 times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. Like, um, I think if I were to do another shop, you know, you know, you're talking about the first ones you do when you're setting up your garage and the way I typically do things is like, Oh, I get a tool and I build a stand for it or a bench for it. I put it there. And then the other one comes in, I look around trying to figure it out. And it's kind of, and for me, it's been like a trial by like trial and error that you figure out, oh, okay, you know what, let's move this around. Let's actually set this here and this here. And so I think, you know, coming into your new building, having the experience of having two other shops, setting up two other shops and a blank canvas, I think that past experience is going to help out a lot when you can actually, you know, put forethought based on experience on how you like things to go. Yes. Workflow is different for everyone. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of these you know, online workshop creators. Oh, you use our software. You set up your workshop perfectly. Not necessarily because you have to figure what you want to do, what tools you're going to have now and in the future. Yeah. Leave, have three times more room than you think you're going to need. Uh, not just for tools, but material handling or room to work around whatever it is you're building. Yeah. And I found that in our, my 
workshop in our home in Missouri, it was a two and a half car wide and two and a half car deep, very big garage for a home. And I was like, oh, I can get this tool and that tool and the other tool. Then I didn't have room to build the furniture I was working on. So I had to constantly move my tools around. Yeah. You have to take all these things into consideration. So I started keeping an, if I, if, if I ran into something that was a hard no or a hard yes for the future, I, I wrote it in a book. That's a good idea. One of those is now I have an assembly table that's off the ground. Adjustable yeah. height is even better, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that in this shop, but I'm lucky enough to have a five foot by five foot laboratory grade uh, one inch thick countertop. Then that's going to be my uh, assembly table, and I'm going to build it about 28 inches off the ground. I'm going to build a steel frame for it. And whatever, particularly if I'm building, you know, furniture, that way it's at working height. I don't have to bend over. I don't have to stoop. I don't have to sit. Nothing. It's Mm -hmm. all comfortable because um, I'm telling you, folks, you enjoy your teens, your 20s, your 30s, and your 40s. Because in your 50s, your check engine light's going to come on. Or 40. Uh, <laughs> or 40. Uh, I'm, um, feeling, I'm feeling certain things I ain't never felt before. Yeah, if you build things with your hands, your knees and your back and your shoulders are the first things to go unless you're working at things at a comfortable height. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I was young and didn't listen to the older folks, and now I'm paying for it. So. Yeah, no. And I always, I always felt like I'm pretty adamant with my children and I would give this advice to any young people coming up in the making. And this is just strictly based on personal experience is that uh, wear knee pads if you're doing anything on your knees. You know, if you go to the airports and you see all the carousels where your baggage comes out and they've got all that stainless steel cladding on them, uh, that was part of what I used to do. I'd spend, you know, we'd trim these joints and I would spend hours, like six hours of a 12 hour day on my knees, grinding stainless steel. And I mean, I, was, I remember I was young. I remember even right when I was married, I was working in California and, um, oh yeah, I could do this. It's no problem. And on concrete, on carpet, didn't matter. Didn't wear knee pads. And now my knees are absolute pieces of junk. Like I ride my bicycle, they hurt. Now, if I like, I don't know, say if I drop something underneath uh, one of my workbenches and I have to kneel down, go grab it. And even for that, like 10 seconds that I'm on my knees, I can feel it when I go to bed at night. I'm like, oh, I can tell I kneeled down once. So definitely. I I wholeheartedly, we weren't allowed to have knee pads working the flight line and you're constantly on concrete or, you know, metal, Mm -hmm. you know, 20 years of that and then doing things on my own, you know, flooring all kinds of stuff throughout the years. These are just destroyed. And I use them now. I have a pair of the very quick on and off, but very good knee pads. Yeah. And another thing that folks don't think about are anti-fatigue matting. If you stand uh, at a tool grinder all day or a kitchen sink or a stove all day, use that anti-fatigue mat. Mm-hmm. Your body will love you. Yeah. I, every time I'm constantly adding more of those to my garage and eventually the entire floor is going to be covered with them. And don't um, have the ones that have the little holes in them all yeah. the way through. They just collect, you know, metal shavings and dust, get the solid ones. I like the little holes. I actually do. I had a, 
my whole workshop in those in uh, Missouri and in, started them in Maryland. And it was just infuriating with the amount of junk those things. Yeah, were. they do. I always wait till the junk starts coming up above the thickness of the rubber. <laughs> and then I need to, but I find those ones with the little holes they have, I find them a little more squishy. They have a little more give than. Oh, no, I agree. And the ones that are solid, that are just as good as those are just so expensive. The one we have in front of our sink was 250 bucks. Oh, wow. It's the best one I've ever had. And uh, my wife wants one for the in front of the stove and then a longer one by the kitchen island. Just, you know, just for me, because I do a lot of cooking, too. And mm. she's like, it, you know, your knees, your back. And I'm like, but my wallet, <laughs> I don't know it works. That's right. That's true. But So I'm trying to look around for a, a commercial grade one, you know, ones that uh, commercial kitchens use or uh, restaurants uh, that you wouldn't find at like Home Depot or something because they're the same thing, but because they're sold like that, they're more uh, economical. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You know, it's interesting when you you said, you know, the young people enjoy the you know, the health and the strength of your use of your youth. Uh, this week I was thinking about a song that was really popular. I don't know when it came out the nineties, but it was called everybody's free. And then the rest of the title was to wear sunscreen and it was by Baz Luhrmann. And it's basically, it's kind of something he wrote to a graduating class. And one of the lines he says is enjoy the power and beauty of your youth. And there's a little bit of music and it says, "Never mind." It said, you won't understand the power and beauty of your youth until they fade. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about that this past week. I listened to that song. I was like, you know what? It's true. You know, with my strength and my health and my knees, I didn't enjoy it. And I didn't understand it until I don't have it now. It's kind of an interesting way to look at things, but I think and it's true. Smart enough to look like you're 18, 25, 30. And you see the older guys and gals that you work with, you're, you know, doing the same thing that are limping, that they're complaining all the time. Or mm-hmm. if they're not complaining, you can phys- you can see that they have uh, physical issues and you know, yeah. and you know, they've done the same thing you're doing and you're, Oh, that won't happen to me. I'm smarter yeah. than, no, you're not. You there, think you you're know, there's no free lunch and physics and there's no free lunch and damage to your body. Sorry. Yeah. Let's try. I remember I used to always tell people, Oh yeah, I'm invincible. I'm invincible. Uh, when I was young and they're like, what do you mean you're invincible? I said, well, I'm not dead yet. Am I? <laughs> and that was my attitude. I mean, I did some pretty reckless things. I got in a lot of bad car wrecks. Um, you know, I had crotch rockets. I used to race motorcycles, wheelie, like just dumb, dumb stuff. And I was like, oh, I'm invincible. And you know what? When I look at the dumb stuff I did, I'm, I feel like I got away with something with just having sore knees <laughs> from what I did for a living, you know, from what, what my work was. But yeah, definitely, uh, it, and it's true. You just, when you're young, you don't have the wisdom to think of that stuff. But boy, it'll catch you. <laughs> it'll catch you. I just want to live long enough to point and laugh at a couple of people. <laughs> you know, that I've tried to give really, uh, you know, genuine learned advice to. And they're like, you were just stupid. I, I know what I'm doing. I want to see you in a knee brace. <laughs> That's right. That's funny. And that rounds up the topic of kindness. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, it's been a, a very good first podcast, I think. How do you feel about it? Oh, I feel really great. Is yeah. You know, you know, and 
to the audience, that's this what you've just listened to for almost an hour was a conversation between two friends. And that's what the flavor of this soup is going to be about. So I really hope you enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And uh, definitely we thank you for listening and, um, you know, bear with us. We're kind of learning as we go. Uh, we're both kind of committed to hopefully trying to bring the best audio. Uh, we've got some fun equipment. We're trying to match equipment up on either end. Uh, who knows, maybe this podcast is just an excuse, <laughs> excuse to buy some digital toys, but we really, really do appreciate you listening. And uh, the goal of this show, we're going to strive for it. Things may change, but we'd like to do weekly episodes. And um, yeah, still got to figure out where to how to get this out on all the players. Uh, if you like this, the one of the best things you could do is tell a friend or family member uh, who you think might get something out of it. I've heard, you know, it's interesting. I was thinking about it. YouTube can like based on an algorithm recommend a youtube channel to somebody uh same thing with instagram right it's like oh this is popular let's recommend it to this but there's no such thing in the podcasting realm right there it's not like if you've got a really popular show when you open up you know somebody opens up their podcasting player it's going to recommend a really popular show it's based purely on what you go out and seek and so I think mouth-to-mouth sharing is really important. And if you enjoyed it, we'd appreciate that. And then same thing if you give your like give a review on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen to this, that helps. I guess somehow people say that helps promote it. But either way, we appreciate it. And we appreciate you listening more than anything else.